Don't make me do this a second time. Alleluia. Christ is risen. Beautiful reminder right here. That's why we keep the Paschal candle out over the Easter season. It's good to be back with you all. Uh, thanks to everyone who participated in Holy Week. It was truly a holy week. It really was. And I, and I actually left Holy Week quite refreshed rather than exhausted, though a little exhausted too. We're, we're into the Easter season now, which, which is uh, so exciting because we're going to be talking about in the days to come how the resurrected Jesus operates from his throne in heaven because that is where he is today right now because the tomb is still empty yes 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 the tomb is empty you see um, in revelation chapter 5 that we just heard from a few minutes ago we saw we got a glimpse through john's vision into the heavenly realm where the lamb who was slaughtered for our sins, is worshipped by every creature in heaven, multitudes and multitudes of creatures. Friends, that's happening right now and for all of eternity. And our worship is a privilege of participating in that heavenly worship. And I've seen some pretty lively worship this morning. People are singing. It makes my heart warm because being listless or unenthused or distracted, distracted in worship is a tragedy because he is worthy of every ounce of praise that we are capable of giving him. Amen. Amen. We are going to see today in the story of Saul of Tarsus one way, one story of redemption, one story that shows us how Jesus still reigns and operates in the world today. So here's a quiz, here's a quiz for you. If Jesus ascended back into heaven after his resurrection, how does he operate in the world today? By his Holy Spirit, yes, and through his church. But the focus is going to be on how Jesus, the spirit of Jesus operates today. Now, do something. Look at your bulletin, Acts chapter 9. Look at the first, the very first thing uh, that you read in that. It says, meanwhile, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest. Now, look 20 verses later, chronologically three days later, and look at the very end of the passage. Talking about the same guy here. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogues, saying, he is the son of God. What happened? Breathing murderous threats against a people, and suddenly... He is the biggest promoter of their movement and of their Lord, all within the span of three days because of one experience. That's what we're going to talk about today. You see, if you have a genuine encounter with the spirit of Jesus, your life will look completely different. It will look completely different. Now, Saul is now here's the thing about Saul and Paul. Paul is not a new holier name that God gives him. Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Gentile Roman equivalent of that name. It's Saulos in Hebrew and Paulos in Greek. So nothing profound about that and you see him called by both. So Saint Paul is Saul and Saul is Saint Paul. That's that one's a free one. Um so 
Saul is, he's a rabbi, he is a Pharisee, he is higher up in the world of uh, Jewish teachers, and he is out because he believes that another false Messiah, Irol, has come out of the woodwork and told everybody that he's the Messiah and has gained a bunch of followers. And this guy's name is Yeshua, and he's from Nazareth, it's a backwoods nowheresville, and he, and his followers are causing great, a great stir. And so Saul is set on eliminating the movement by uh, gaining authority in different jurisdictions to have them arrested and bound and put on trial with with the hope of execution and stoning for blaspheming the living God of Israel by claiming that they know his Messiah and his king. You see, Saul thinks he's doing God a favor. I got this, Lord. I'll take care of it. Now, it tells us that he was on his way to Damascus. Now, he was in Jerusalem. He's coming from Jerusalem. He's on his way to Damascus and he's going to Damascus because what happened was when Stephen back in Acts chapter seven, when Stephen, a deacon of the Lord, was persecuted and stoned to death, there was a great persecution that broke out against followers of the way. That's what the early Christian Christians were called. That's kind of cool, isn't it? Followers of the way. And there was persecution. And so they kind of spread kind of far. And Saul has word that they have gone as far as Damascus, which is one hundred and fifty miles away from Jerusalem. Now, you can't just hop on a plane in those days and get to Damascus in an hour. You, you're traveling by foot or horseback um, or, or camel or whatever it is, but it takes a long time. So Saul is going out of his way big time to nip this whole Christian problem in the bud. And here's what happens. He's on his way. He's thanking God for the opportunity to eliminate these blasphemers. And suddenly... Suddenly, there is a blinding light. Now, this is not like a flashlight that clicks on and says, "Mm, excuse me. This is a blinding light from heaven. This is the Holy Spirit of the living God, okay? The Holy Spirit is no gentleman, okay? He's not always a gentleman. He doesn't doesn't show up with gentleness. He comes in power upon Saul. It's like lightning from heaven flashing, and Saul hits the ground. Now, it doesn't ever tell us that he was thrown from his horse. That's how it's depicted in popular art. But if you look right there in the passage, it never says that. Maybe he was on a horse. I don't know. But anyway, he gets thrown to the ground because of the great power and the light. Now, his compadres are terrified because they see the light, but they don't hear the voice that's speaking to him, which addresses him like this. Excuse me, Mr. Saul. I was wondering if I could have a chat with you about being mean to my people. No, that's not what he said, is it? You see, uh, he, he comes in power and he says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? There's a great bit of theology here. When someone persecutes a follower of Jesus, they persecute Jesus because Jesus lives in us and we are the body of Christ on the earth. So this is the living God, the God of Israel, who's made himself known in Jesus, appearing to Saul and saying, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul, frightened, says, who are you, Lord? That's not him acknowledging Jesus as Lord. That's just him saying uh, it's a term of authority and uh, as it's a, some kind of a master. And so he realizes this is a divine encounter. Who are you, Lord? And here's the response that he gets. I am Jesus. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Whom you are persecuting. This is not 
a gentle rebuke. (laughs) This is the power of God coming on him to show him that he has been living in opposition to the purposes of God. And there's great mercy in this act, as we will see in just a minute. Now, here's what he says to him. Saul, confess your sins and believe on me and everything will be good. No, he doesn't actually say that. Now, we believe that stuff is true. But here's what he says immediately to uh, Saul. He says, get up and go into the city. Go ahead and proceed into Damascus. And you're going to be told what you are to do. I love this. Jesus, when we encounter him, immediately gives us a mission. He he gives us a mission right from the start. You see, it is not the will of God to save someone from sin and destruction and eternal separation from him and then allow them to go on living life as normal until they die. Because we are not receptacles, we are vessels. A receptacle holds something. That's all it does. It just holds something. But a vessel holds something for the sake of pouring it back out. And you see, the spirit of Jesus takes Paul, shakes him, reveals himself to him. And Paul's relationship with Jesus that begins right in this moment will end up overflowing from him into the Gentile world and spreading throughout the ancient world. Scholars say that um, besides Jesus himself, this Saul of Tarsus, who we know as St. Paul, has, is, is the biggest influence on global Christianity today. He's had the biggest influence on Christianity worldwide ever. It's absolutely true. Now, <laughs> Saul's blind. He, he has to be led into the city, and he ends up fasting uh, for three days, praying fervently, trying to figure out everything about what's going on, because he realizes life is about to change for me. And the Lord calls. I love how supernatural all of this is. We need to be reminded that God operates in the supernatural realm very powerfully with his mission. He still does today. Um, Ananias, there's a guy named Ananias, and he gets a vision from God. Okay, He gets a vision from God. He answers, I am here, Lord. And the Lord says to him, get up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. At this moment, he is praying. You see, God sees everything and he's giving him a vision. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. God says, it's God saying to Ananias, don't worry, I've already given Saul the vision that you're going to come in and lay hands on him. Now, Ananias' response is pretty funny. Ananias uh, says, Lord, all due respect, I think you might have the wrong guy. Um, Saul of Tarsus is the guy who's out to have us all killed. And uh, the thought of coming anywhere close to him would certainly mean death for me as your follower. Maybe you mean Saul of Parsis or Tharsis or Carsis, but you can't mean Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord says to Ananias, go. All the parents in here know how this is, but I don't think I want to go. The Lord says, go. And he says this to him, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. He is my instrument now 
You see, Paul was an instrument of the enemy. He was being used to come against Jesus and his people, but Jesus breaks into his life supernaturally and claims him for himself. One of his worst enemies and persecutors. This is the mercy of God at work. And we see a radical conversion in St. Paul from being a persecutor to a proclaimer. Radical. Now, why does God choose Paul of all people? Couldn't he have chosen someone who's a little bit less nasty to his people? Maybe just even a little bit less of a threat. Why does he choose Paul? Paul actually tells us in his letter to Timothy, his first letter to Timothy, he's writing to Timothy about the grace and mercy and patience of God. And he tells us exactly why God chose him for this very reason. Here's what he says. This is first Timothy chapter one, starting in verse 15. This is a trustworthy saying and everyone should accept it. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And I am the worst of them all. Great humility. But God had mercy on me so that Christ Jesus could use me as a prime example of his great patience with even the worst sinners. Then others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life. Wow. See, anyone who thinks that they aren't worthy or they've done too much or maybe even that they're currently living in opposition to God because of their lifestyle needs to hear this right now. God is patient and he is pursuing us with power. See, you have to stop dwelling on your own unworthiness and sin and look to the cross where he paid your debt and made you worthy to stand before him. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 that God took the record of debt that stood against us, our sins, and he nailed it to the cross with Jesus. And he wiped it out and it's there and it's there forever. And it's been destroyed and it's no more. You see, our father loves when we cling to the cross of his son in desperation. He can't wait to throw his arms around us. You see, he looked out at Saul persecuting his people, having them killed some of them. Some of them have already been killed. And he said about this man, this enemy, I love him so much. I want to cleanse him and forgive him and use him. I'm going after him. That is the mercy of the Father's heart. So, Ananias, he's obedient. And he says, okay, Lord, if you say so, he had to go with some trepidation, but the Lord gave him a vision. So, he's the obedient. He goes and he finds Saul, and sure enough, there he is in the house praying. And Ananias went and entered the house, and I think this was probably pretty a bold move, and he laid his hands on Saul and he said, Brother Saul, I love this. He's so, I, he's so gracious. He's already saying, Brother in Christ. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on your way here, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why did God make Saul blind? Do you ever think about that? I think it was to show him that he was spiritually blind and to give him some time to realize that. You see, you could be living a, a very devout religious life and thinking you're doing favors for God and living for God, but actually yet be blind to his real purposes and his son Jesus. And he says the scales fell off of his eyes 
when he laid hands on him and he was able to see. That's the first thing that happens is when someone comes to know Jesus, it is only because Jesus shows them that they have been blind to his grace and his mercy and the truth of who he is. And Saul realizes this. And here's the second thing that happens. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. We were talking a little bit about this this morning in our class on Acts. And here's another one of those examples that I mentioned where someone separately from their baptism receives a filling of the Holy Spirit through the laying on of hands. You know, I think happened to Paul in this time. It wasn't like, oh, cool, the Holy Spirit's in me. I think it was like, whom the fire of God fell from heaven on him in power. And you know why I think that is because we know from the other writings that Paul goes on to prophesy. He says that to the Corinthians, I speak in tongues more than any of you. He heals people supernaturally. He has a boldness to proclaim the gospel, even in the face of death. The power of God came on him in that room that day. You see, there's receiving the Holy Spirit in baptism and he never goes away. But there are times in our life, either through the laying on of hands or through some other means, the Lord fills us fresh with his power. And the purpose of it is to minister with boldness. And every time people are filled in the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit, they go on to carry out the purposes of being witnesses to the gospel. It's not just a private mystical experience. Let me tell you a little bit about my own experience with this. At the beginning of this year, I was um, I was crying out to God and I was just hungry for more of God. God, you know, God always has more. He always has more to give us. And it's not that he doesn't want to give it. It's that we're not seeking for it. And I began to realize that and I was seeking for more of him. And through different conversations and different things that were happening in my life and just praying, Lord, I'm just desiring you and I want more of you and I want to walk in the power of the spirit and I want victory over the things that are afflicting me. And I want to have a new joy and power and boldness in my ministry, you know, because I realized that I preached a lot about evangelism and sharing the gospel and being bold in public, but I was doing very little of it myself. And that is called being a hypocrite. And so the Lord was convicting me of these things in gentleness, as he does. And so I began to be hungry, and I said, well, Lord, I need more boldness. I need more power. And so, uh, long story short, I called a couple of my friends who are spirit-filled people, and I said, well, you come lay hands on me and pray for me that God would fill me with the Holy Spirit, because I see what happens in the book of Acts, and I want that. And they said, oh, we'd love to. And they came. And they prayed for me and it was extremely powerful. And I was worried maybe nothing's going to happen, you know, but it wasn't up to me. The Lord had already decided that he was going to give me that. And I was filled and I was overcome with his presence and I was overcome with joy and, and weeping and, and I felt electricity tingling through my body. It was very, very powerful. And this is not just me. This is thousands and countless thousands of other people te- have this testimony of being filled with the Holy Spirit and very similar things happen. And I was praying the Psalms and just worshiping with my friends who were there with me. It was so beautiful. And you know how I knew it was the Lord? I felt his love and his peace washing over me and through me. Charles Finney, a great uh, 19th century revivalist and evangelist, said that when he was filled with the Holy Spirit, he describes it as feeling like waves and waves of liquid love. He wasn't talking about whiskey. 
He said to the Lord, he said, Lord, it was happening for hours to him. And he said, Lord, if you do not you remove your hand from me, I will surely die. That's how the glory and the love of God felt so intense to him. And I can relate. I felt the intensity of his love. And it was powerful. And you know what happened after that? You see, it wasn't just for me to have a mystical experience to feel great about myself. The Lord, of course, wanted me to have his joy. But it was for the purpose of witness. And I have to tell you, ever since then, and I'm not bragging, I'm just sharing this to encourage you to seek after this. I I went out and I began, there's probably been at least two or three people a week that I've been ministering to in public. The Lord just brings them to my path and I have a new boldness to speak out. Ask them, encourage them, ask them about what's going on in their life. And the Lord is doing things through that. This is what happens to Saul. His life is forever changed. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He goes out. And as you saw, at the end of his experience, three days later, he's going into the synagogues to his fellow Jews and Pharisees and leaders who he had sided with before and said, let's wipe out these Christians. And he's going to them and saying, Jesus is the son of God. You see, something powerful happened. Let me just share one story because I have lots of exciting stories that have been happening in my life. And let me share one story with you about how uh, that has been, been the result of just having a new boldness to witness to people for Jesus. There is um, a girl at a coffee shop that I go to often and she's uh, pregnant. She's very pregnant. And um, I've been talking to her and asking her name and the baby's name and everything. And I was putting her on my prayer list in my phone. And she was like, oh, my gosh, thank you so much. That's so nice. And I said, how are you doing? Are you are you excited to have the baby? And she said, um, she said, yes, but I'm really nervous. I'm just getting really nervous and having a lot of anxiety. And it's keeping me from sleeping at night because I lay down and it's all I can think about. And I and I said, oh, man, I know that that has to be so, like, difficult to wrestle with that. And I said, can I pray for you? Can I just pray for you? And she, she, she knows I'm a Christian. And she said, yeah, sure. I just took her hands and I prayed that the Lord would touch her and bless the baby and keep them safe and provide for them and bless them and that he would give her a good night's sleep and take the anxiety away. And whatever came over me after that, I just said to her boldly, I said, you're going to get a good sleep tonight. And I thought, oh, Lord, please give her a good sleep tonight because this is not going to look good for you or for me. <laughs> and uh, I was actually there the next day with my daughter and uh, come around the corner. She's somewhere else in the store and she comes waddling up to me, you know, the, the pregnant belly. And she's got this smile on her face and she walks by me and she's kind of laughing and she goes, I slept like a baby last night. And I said, it's Jesus. I said, that was Jesus. You see, that's just one story of so many things that have been happening. But when you seek to be filled with the Holy Spirit, like St. Paul and like the other apostles at Pentecost, things change. And I've been walking in a new victory over attitudes and sins that I was battling. I've been walking with a new joy that sustains me through difficulties. I've been able to share the gospel with people who don't know Jesus. You see, it's all about him. It's all about Jesus. That's what it is. You see, um, Paul writes in the letter to Colossians. I just love everything he writes. This this reading and being reminded of how opposed he was to the gospel. And then reading all of the beautiful things that he says about Jesus later in his life as he writes these letters. It's amazing. It can only be from someone who's been overcome by the love of God. He writes in Colossians chapter 3, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ... Set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth, for you died to this life and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. 
That's what walking in the fullness of the Spirit is about, is, is death to ourself and letting Jesus live his life through us more fully and more powerfully. And friends, let me tell you, it's fun. It is exciting. You see, only the fire of the Holy Spirit, which is the personal presence of the living Lord who we heard about in Revelation today, who's being worshipped in the heavenly realms right now, only his fire can empower us to set our eyes on heavenly realities and to live bold lives of proclaiming the gospel and to walk with victory and joy, carrying out his purposes. He loves you and he has more for you. Mark my words, you can believe that. My friend uh, Michael wrote a book on the Holy Spirit and he says this, I love this. Now, God is not just a flame He's not a tiny little candle hoping to be seen. No, the Lord is a real fire. The fire of the Holy Spirit protects us, warms us, illuminates us, but it also burns up all that is in us that is not of God. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is done burning in us, only he and his presence remain. Wow. What would, how would the world be changed if we, if we lived this out? Wow. You see, Jesus died, gave his life to have all of you and all of me, not not just 30% or 50% or even 90%, but to have all of us. His love for you burns hot and his desire for intimacy with you is far deeper than you can even realize. And just like his plans... For Saul, for me, for everyone in this room. He has a plan to change the world through you. You are his body. You are his hands and his feet. So here's what I want to do. I just want to pray for you. I don't want anybody, this might sound sacrilegious, but I don't want anyone to pray right now. I just want to pray for you um, just for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit, just to receive what he has for you. You don't have to pray. Just relax and rest and receive his love. And I want everybody to just bow their heads and close their eyes and just maybe put your hands out in front of you, palms up, and just a gesture of reception. And I just want to pray that the Lord would do what he wants to do and touch you with his power and his presence and his love. Heavenly Father, send your Holy Spirit. I can't give you to anybody, Lord. Only you can give yourself. So we just turn these next couple of minutes and moments over to you. Lord, you're like a wind. You're like a fire. You're like fresh oil poured over us. So we ask you, Lord, to just come through here and touch us. Touch the people in these pews who are hungry for you, Lord, and and create a hunger in those who don't have a deep hunger. Lord, we need you here in this church. We need breakthrough. We want to see people coming to know you in in our personal lives and the people that we bring through these doors. We want to see you at work, Lord. We want to see your glory in this place. We want to see people healed. We want to see people called on the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. So we ask that you'd, you'd come through this room, Lord, and touch each and every one of us in the way that only you, only the way that you can do, Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you 
that, that what we have access to is because of your cross, that you gave your life for us. And not only that, to forgive our sins, but to give us the fullness of who you are. You, you have given us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so we thank you and we ask that you would show us what it looks like to walk in the fullness of your spirit and life with you in Jesus' name. Amen.